into a, a new series today. And so here's what happens. At late last year, I went away, had a few days, was praying about some things and also about what, what would you have a speak on throughout 2023, Lord, and I wrote some things down and you've been hearing a lot from me and others over the course of this year. And when I got to this space, I was praying about what are we going to preach in that kind of September, October, November season. And, uh, you know, we've been really just, we've been focusing on reading large sections of scripture. You know, let's read Galatians, let's read Colossians, let's do some judges we've done. We did Samuel at one stage. Like we, we like to read those big chunks and just see how, uh, and mind them for, for what God is saying to us and, and who he is and things like that. And I just wrote down uh, Peter, right? Because, and I didn't really have a great revelation as to why that, that is. But my thinking was, uh, we spend a lot of time reading Paul's letters, which is great. Love that man. He's got some, God used him. It's all inspired by the Holy Spirit, what he said. But we spent a lot of time hearing Paul, and I was just thinking, I'd love to hear some more from Peter and, and what he would have to say. And, and perhaps it was influenced slightly by watching The Chosen, which I really enjoy as a series. And, and the guy who plays Peter on that kind of inspires me a little bit. I like his character. So anyway, that's where we're at. So it's not that spiritual, is it? But um, it will be because we're reading God's Word. I trust God has a purpose for us. The two letters from Peter that's in your Bibles help us think seriously about belonging to and living in the kingdom of heaven right now, even while the world around us doesn't. You know, what did Jesus say? Uh, Lord, Father, your kingdom come now. Your will be done like in heaven. That was what Jesus said. That was his prayer. And he said, uh, by the way, guys and girls, you should pray that same prayer. And how often did he say, the kingdom is near, as in now. Now, we know the fullness of God's kingdom is still ahead of us. But his kingdom, the reign of God, is here now. And I just think Peter wants us to consider what that means. As I read through First and Second Peter, I'm like, what's the big picture of this? The kingdom, the reign of God is here now. And this is what it looks like for us, living in his kingdom. So let me just start, though, with who is Peter? Like as, as our introduction to this series, since he was the author. Who is Peter? So here's some things that we know about him. We know that he was born Simon. But as we see in the Bible, sometimes God changes people's names. And it's always for a good reason. You know, uh, names, when we pick names for our kids, they generally have a meaning to them. In biblical times, they really knew what that meaning was, right? And so sometimes uh, Jesus or God was changing people's names because it, we needed to know something about that person and, and their purpose going forward. So he changed his name to Cephas. Or Cyphus. I'm going with Cephas today, which is an Aramaic name. It, it translates in Greek to Petros. It translates in English to Peter. It means rock. And of course, Jesus was right. He, he said to, to Simon when he changed his name to Peter, which means rock, and you will, you will be the, like a rock. And the church will be born out of his leadership. Well, the church was born out of what Christ did and the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, but, 
that Peter would be that, that, like that firm foundation in a sense, the rock, that got things started for us in the name of Jesus. And so thousands of, of Jews at that time would follow Jesus because of Peter and his friends and the, and the beginning of the church there. Number two, second thing we know about Peter was that he was a fisherman, uh, as was his brother Andrew, who was also one of the 12 apostles. Uh, Luke says, and it's, I kind of feel sorry for, for Peter here because this is in everyone's Bibles for 2,000 years, but Luke says he was just an ordinary man. <laughs> but I, I kind of love that because it's so typical of God's kingdom, isn't it? You know, that he, he really does look for this. You know, when he was looking for, for the king in Israel, he was, not you, not you, not you, not you, this one, David. He, he looks for this uh, ordinary in the sense that not arrogant, not prideful, you know, not kind of like one of those fragile type leaders that that's makes it about themselves. Those, those kinds of attributes don't always go well as leaders in God's kingdom. Eventually, they don't go well anyway. He, he's looking for that humble, ordinary, almost broken person. You know, someone who, who understands who they are before God and, and, and understands the, the world that we live in and, and understands the kingdom of heaven. The third thing is Peter was married. Uh, we don't know much about his wife, but there is a mention uh, in the Gospels that he had a mother-in-law, so that means he was married. The fourth thing is that he was part of that. There was like a... Um, Jesus had a lot of disciples and apostles, and they were, of course they were all close to him, but he also had... Some really close friends, three in particular, James, John, and Peter. And he was part of that three. And those three got to experience some things that others didn't, in particular the transfiguration of Jesus. But that must have been very special to be part of that. You know, that was, I feel like that was like Jesus confirming his, his divine nature to the world. You know, and there was three witnesses there of that when the, something supernatural happened to his appearance and there was... The Father's voice from heaven was audibly heard by people. And I think it was Elijah and Moses there appeared as well. And it's like, don't, it's like Jesus was saying, I, I am I'm man and I am God in that moment. And Peter got to experience that, that. The fifth thing about Peter that I noted down was that he was a passionate follower of Jesus. Don't you love people who are passionate about things? So long as it's for the right things, of course. He'd seen enough to know. He was all in. You know, he was a full-time servant. Gave up his job like that, I think, or something like that. No doubt there was times he still had to fish while he was with Jesus, but gave up a lot to follow and knew that he could trust Jesus with his needs and his wife's needs, his family's needs. I mean, that was a sacrifice, and that was faith. Peter was the one. He stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. That was him. You could say that he was perhaps impulsive. You could definitely say he was decisive. Yes, he's the one that disowned Christ three times on Good Friday. But I always say he was there. Where was everyone else? We can give him that, can't we? And I don't blame him and I don't blame the others either. The sixth thing, and Jesus didn't either, by the way. The sixth thing is 
He ran to the tomb. And the women were given the message from Jesus and said, go tell the men. He was off. And so was John. He ran there. He had to see for himself, you know, passion. The seventh thing is he preached the first sermon after Pentecost and thousands came. You know, the ordinary man filled with the Holy Spirit. Thousands came to Christ. The rock, the church grew exponentially around the world from those humble beginnings. Think about that for a second. Over 2,000 years, uh, Christianity has spread around the world and it's And yes, it's still going strong. Don't let anyone tell you that Christianity is not going strong. But there must be millions and millions, perhaps hundreds of millions. Perhaps we could even say, is it possible billions over 2,000 years when you consider how big the world is now and how many still say yes to Jesus? Lastly, Peter was killed for his faith. Under Nero, in Rome, around AD 64. Now, the Bible doesn't record this fact, but Jesus did foretell it and said that when you die, your arms will be stretched out. And so we we believe that he was probably crucified as well. So we don't have a lot of writings from Peter for such an important man, but we do have these two letters. And so I gave you that big, long intro about Peter to build you up a little bit and go, yeah, let's pay attention, because he wrote two letters. He must be, he is passionate. He must have a word from God for his church. We know that these two letters were written in Rome. It was towards the end of his life. It was, too, it was a circular letter to go around a bunch of churches and we're going to take it as for us today as well. I believe it is. Now, these churches he was writing to, and we've talked about this a lot because we did a series in Revelation around the seven letters. These churches, uh, it was hard to follow Jesus in this culture, in this society. There was a lot of pressure on you to not do that and sometimes even persecution. And he wanted to remind them of who they were. You you are children of God. He wanted to remind them of their inheritance and the privileges that they have in that space, in in that identity as children of God. And he wanted to encourage them. You can still live a life for Jesus under the reign of God, even when the people around you say no to him. You are different to the world is what he wanted them to know. The values we live by as followers of Jesus, you know, they're, they're upside down from the values that we have around us in our culture, in our, in our world. You know, things like turn the other cheek and love your enemy. That's, that's not a worldly value. It's a, it's a godly value. He wanted them to know how we live. It's, it's meant to be as a light, as a gift to the world. You know, that, that's... A lot of the story of the Bible is about, firstly, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were to reveal God to the world. And we do that today as his church. We we, we should be a gift and a blessing to the world around us. It's kingdom values, the reign of God, not the reign of humans. And that's the theme for me, living in this kingdom. So we're going to read through these two letters and we're going to mind them. For teaching, this is a bit of an introduction today. Um, so let's pray about the next few weeks. Lord, we bring before you your word for us and ask that the, these inspired words, not only would they be relevant for us today, which they are, but they would be life-changing. May we 
truly embrace what you are saying to us today and over these coming weeks. I pray, God, at the end of 1 Peter and then perhaps next year at the end of 2 Peter, we'll look back on this journey and we'll see what you're saying to us and we'll see the change in your church and in us individually. God, I pray for that. Holy Spirit, we invite you, come be here today. Move in our hearts. Lord, where, where our hearts are hard, please soften them to be ready for you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first 12 verses is, is today's message, and don't worry, it's not going to go long. The first 12, a bit of an introduction. So I'm going to read most of them, or all of these verses, and just pull out a couple of key things. So starting in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Yeah, amen to that. I'll take more grace and peace. God wants to give it to us. But did you, know that, uh, did you notice that Christian, uh, sorry, Peter called those Christians foreigners. Did you see that bit there? He means followers of Jesus are different. You know, uh, particularly in, well, firstly in a spiritual sense. But that translates to the, to the rest of us as well. Some translations use the word exiles there instead of foreigners. These early churches were living in a culture that was saying no, rejecting the reign of God. You know, the, the world lives under the reign of me, doesn't it? Not Nathan. Me. We, we live under the reign of I'm my own God. That, that's the way the world sees it usually. Yeah, there's some um, kings and there's presidents and prime ministers, and in this time there was emperors and stuff like that. We're all living under those government uh, authorities and things like that. In fact, that comes up later in Peter. But when it comes to whose reign are you under, for us Christians, it's God's reign. But for humans, for the, the humans in general, it's the reign of me. I'm my own God. That's our problem. Now, we need to be careful not to twist this meaning about living as foreigners. It, it, don't let it be something that it's not. This is not a call to live separately from the world in isolation. You know, how, do we, how do we be a blessing to the world when we do that? You know, it's not about disconnecting. It's not about disengaging from the world. What Peter means, I think is what, what he means anyway, is being a foreigner is, you know, is that as we followers have submitted to the reign of God first, he is our king ahead of us and ahead of earthly leaders. He is our loyalty. He has our affections, our passions, our desires, our obedience. And when we see the pain and destruction and sin and greed and selfishness around us, sometimes in us, that should feel foreign to us. Foreign. Do you see what, what I think he's saying? That's, how, that's why we, feel like, we should feel like foreigners. When we see those things around us, it can even feel like we're exiles sometimes, especially when pressure can start to come. That doesn't mean we're not attached 
to our place on earth or we don't have a link to our place on earth. You know, our community where God has placed us, we do have an attachment in a, in a tangible way. This is still God's creation. He, he's still in charge and he's placed us uh, here now with a purpose for his kingdom. So we're not disconnected. But the culture doesn't submit to the reign of God and so sometimes it can feel foreign to us. And these churches in 1 Peter particularly, they feel it, um, you know, particularly the persecution that they, they're receiving. So, so Peter sympathizes with them. He says, you don't feel like you belong because you follow Jesus. You feel like exiles, you know, a bit like the Israelites used to feel when they were in exile. I'm always careful to not compare my good life here in Australia to what Christians experience in other places around the world. And there's no doubt we can feel, though, sometimes we just feel like we don't belong. You know, that pressure might come. Or, we, or as I said, we, the things around us just feel foreign to us. So within our context, I think Peter's words are really helpful. How do I live in a city or a, or a country or a culture that has rejected the reign of God and makes me feel like sometimes a foreigner. Well, I think we can actually look back to the exiles in the Old Testament for some advice on this. The Israelites, who were literally deported from their home where they were connected to, to Babylon, were, were exiles in another place, and they, they definitely felt it. They felt like exiles. They felt like foreigners there. But Jeremiah wrote a, a long list of messages that God had for them while they were there. And one of the things he said in Jeremiah 29.7, he said, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. You know, even when you're in exile, when you're the, you feel like a foreigner there, God's saying, don't separate yourself. It's not you versus them. Work for the peace and prosperity of that place that you were in and pray for it. The command works well with what Jesus teaches us about how we live in, the, in this world. So, in fact, what he demonstrated, literally sacrificed himself for humanity. I think that's our calling too in some ways. That's how, that's how we do it. We don't separate ourselves, put up the big gates, hope that no one ever talks to us and not have to deal with the difficult stuff. That's not the call. That's not the example. Jesus went around and fed thousands of people. <laughs> it was, that was a pretty good miracle, that one, wasn't it, when he just fed thousands on the spot? I like that one. He healed hundreds. In fact, I, it's hard to, to know, but I would say maybe thousands of people. Just went around healing, giving that gift to, to people. He called on us. Matthew 25 is pretty clear. Feed the hungry, care for those in prison, Look after the immigrant, the orphan, the widow. Clothe the naked. Stand in the gap when someone is condemned. Remember he advocated for... A, they, they were ready to condemn a prostitute. Not the prostitute's clients for some reason, just her. Ready to condemn her. He stood there in the gap until it didn't happen. That's the kind of stuff. His heart was for the poor and marginalised. He broke through barriers, the racial barriers of the time. You know, the the gender divide and the oppression that, that people would receive. He kind of got angry at pride and arrogance and legalism, you know, because he was like, well, this, I'm about humility and compassion. 
That's the stuff of his kingdom. More than anything, he brought the gift of forgiveness and salvation and peace with God. Showering us in grace and mercy. I'm glad we sang about it this morning. I heard your voices. You feel the same way. Thank you, God, for your grace. He showed us what the kingdom looked like, and that's the good news for us to bring to the world. We may feel like foreigners at times, but we're supposed to be a blessing to the world around us with that good news. The good news is that um, the reign of God is here. You know, sometimes we narrow it down to salvation, which I'm about to talk about, which is true. That's part of the good news. The good news is the reign of God is here. And that's the theme of this as we go further and further into Peter. All right, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Thank you, Lord. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, hopefully. And we have a priceless inheritance. Thank you. (laughs) These are good words, aren't they? An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. And it's beyond the reach of of decay and change. Let me just stop for a second because I hope you've got that hope in your heart, that promise of that inheritance. It brings life into us, doesn't it? Verse 5, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. He means at the end, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So, be truly glad. Remember, they, they, were, they were having a hard time of it, this church. And he's saying, I know, but you can be truly glad because of what Christ has done. This, continuing in verse 6, this is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Maybe that's you at the moment. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him, though you do not see him now. You trust him and you rejoice with the glorious inexpressible joy. And there is whole sermons in there that, that I can go into today, you know, but we've preached on some of these topics before about the trials that we face and, and the pressure that, we, that we're under and how um, God, you know, we've talked about how we're yoked with Jesus through all of these things and how out of that can come a gift that's precious for us and it refines us. We've been through some of these things before, so I'm not going to go there so much today. But he does touch on a bunch of topics in that introduction. You know, there's obedience and inheritance and God's protection is in there and, uh, you know, joy and trust and all those sorts of things. We're going to get to some more of those perhaps. But I want to finish with these last few verses. Verse 9, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ 
within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. Last verse. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eager, eagerly watching these things happen. Talking about salvation at the end there. Salvation, exclamation mark. It's a gift to us. It was talked about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years by prophets. They were looking to that thing. Gee, I wish I could be part of that. How good's that going to be? We got that. Yeah. It's so good. The angels are like, I want to be part of that. Angels. It starts with our souls. It's the essence of us, isn't it? Our souls. But I think holistically, salvation also means, you know, as a redeemed person, my body, my mind, and my spirit. Peter said yes to Jesus when he said, follow me. He said, yes. <laughs> Born again. Peter was saved for eternity. I know there's lots of us talk about him apparently being at the gates. <laughs> I'd be happy if he was the first one to see. Actually, I'd prefer to see Jesus. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Peter entered God's kingdom, the reign of God. Everyone needs saving, church, because we've all fallen short of God's righteousness. That's what the Bible tells us. In essence, we're all sinners. And I know that people don't like hearing that, particularly these days. Please don't tell me I'm a bad person. But we have to be honest with ourselves if we're to find this freedom, this grace that is for us. We, we may be good people by the world's standards, and I understand that, but God, has a, God is holy. He has a holy standard. So let's think about it. You know, we've lied, we've cheated, sometimes we've hated, sometimes we've judged. When we condemn others, we're negative about others. We can be selfish, we can be greedy, we can disobey God's ways. Those things actually do condemn us. But there's good news. Even though we... Uh, like that or we're like that, God still loved us, the Bible says so, so much that he would send his son in our place for those things that we've done. And it was final, it was sufficient. If we ask God to forgive us, if we admit that, those things about us, if we ask God to forgive us, that sacrifice is for us and that amazing grace we sang about it's ours, and it surrounds us, and it holds us, his grace, undeserved, but given out of love. And so this morning, I'm going to finish with this question, which kingdom are you living in? Which kingdom will you give your life to? The kingdom of heaven where God reigns as king, or the kingdom of me, where I'm king. The first one has an inheritance. We just read about it this morning. The first one has a gift. The first one has a promise and an assurance. And the first one has the real life that God intended. The second one can have moments where perhaps it feels good, but it ends up more like 
death. So which kingdom will you give your life to? I want to encourage you this morning in this moment to say yes to number one, Jesus. Where the reign of God, you enter into the reign of God. That's the kingdom I encourage you to receive today. I want to encourage you to close your eyes with me as we pray. This morning, I just want to... We don't do this often here, but I'm just going to say, um, you know, God reigns in my life. Put your hand up real quick. God reigns in my life. Okay, thank you, everyone. If you've never... If you've never said yes to Jesus like that, I'm going to pray a little prayer and you can follow along behind me, just quietly in your heart. A prayer of submission, confession, and accepting Jesus as your Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your words through your apostle Peter this morning. I thank you for your gift to us, your sacrifice for us, your love for us. And so here's that prayer if you want to pray it. Lord, I admit that I have done wrong by you. I admit that I need you. I confess the things that I have done to you. I ask for your forgiveness. Please enter my life as my king and reign over me as my Lord. I believe this morning that you died and rose again. And I commit to following you and all that you've asked me to do. Amen.